This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. From Trifecta Fitness, we're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind MAPCO at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-626. Or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Did you serve in the military? If so, you can obtain a free lifetime pass to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites. These sites are located across more than 400 million acres of public lands, including national parks, wildlife refuges, and forests. The lands host activities to fit any lifestyle. Hiking, biking, fishing, camping, and much more. Gold Star families are also eligible for these free lifetime passes. Plus, they cover entrance fees for a driver and all passengers in a car. Or up to three additional adults at sites that charge per person. Obtaining one is easy. Just go to the National Park Service website, nps.gov, or the National Park Service app. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Fitnation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or gold star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness. Stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. 
subscribe, and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to our Tuesday after dinner show. We didn't think we were going to make it tonight. Had a little trip to the ER with our better half. All things are well. They treated her just like soldiers were treated. Here's some of the procs and go home. You'll be all right. Change your socks. So now we have a great guest, a U.S. Army veteran. He's a first-generation child of Iraqi immigrants. He's a proud U.S. Army veteran, author, deeply passionate about psychology. Following his service in the military, he embarked on a transformative journey of self-development. His books reflect his personal trials and the practical strategies he used for personal growth. Each chapter offers insights into the challenges he faced and the tactical solutions that helped him to overcome them. So without further ado, let's welcome U.S. Army veteran Dan Joseph to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Dan. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's awesome. We can link up with veterans and have them share what they're doing in the world after service, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, we I think we linked in on LinkedIn, I believe, is where we had met. And uh, this is great to have you here. Uh, tell us a little more about you from as far back as you want to go, what you did in the military to how we got here. Uh, yeah, so I was a combat engineer. I went to uh, basic training, actually shipped out at like 32 years old. I uh, went to Fort Jackson after that to uh, OCS in uh, Georgia and then branched engineer. Uh, joined as uh, basically as a sapper platoon leader. That was my first role in the military. I was, I was only in for three and a half years and then got out about a year ago. Um, and while I was in, uh, COVID hit shut down a lot of stuff. It was a pretty, pretty gnarly time. Um, and then I pursued a master's online when everything was, you know, when there was a stop on movement and, and just like the pipelines were closed down. So wanted to, to use my time to kind of develop myself as a leader while simultaneously leading a platoon. So that was kind of the academic scratch or itch that I got to scratch while I was a leader. That's outstanding. At least you got that chance, and uh, most sappers don't have that much time on their hands. So I guess with COVID, you were given an opportunity to do both. Because uh, all the sappers here at Full Campbell, I know they're in the field, like uh, constantly doing a lot of fun, uh, glorious things that sappers do. Yeah, it was. Uh, we were so I was in a non-deployable unit, uh, so we did a lot of the the training for folks that were deploying, and and uh, yeah, basically op four stuff. So. A lot of simulated minefields. The ditches were were real that were dug. The the wire was definitely real. So the soldiers got to bang pickets around the desert, and uh, I basically, yeah, watched watched them do all the hard work. I mean, um, a lot of the, the job of an officer is kind of just enabling the guys and staying out of their way as much as possible. You know, making sure that they can succeed and do the job. And I did I did get yelled at a few times for getting my hands dirty because you know sometimes certain people will say hey that's not what an officer's role is and we all know about how officers will try to be relevant to the guys and then the troops are like hey sir you know we'll handle it from here you can just watch so that was definitely the tough part about being a leader but um man i just was blown away at how how hard they'd work for you know for leadership to get the mission done and the desert's unforgiving you know even though it was a training environment 127 degrees in full kit is no joke, you know? 
it's it's a it's not a funny joke if someone's laughing about it but or if they think it is it's not a funny joke uh, the desert is is definitely unforgiven especially when you add the hard work plus the kit and uh, it makes it a lot worse for all those involved so i'm glad you were able to get that leadership background in the military and then now you moved on you, you have what three books now your psychology is your is your wheelhouse now right so tell us a little bit about that yeah, so um, I am well. So while I was in, I was working. Basically, I was trying to figure out what to what what to get a degree in, and I thought, based on just my introduction into the military from from basic training in OCS and then uh, Bullock at Fort Leonard Wood, um, I realized how important it was to minimize the dumb stuff that I would do as a human being when it came to leading the troops and. So I figured a degree in psychology would just give me some more education on the science of basically feelings and emotions and leadership and find an objective way of determining what a, what optimal leadership looks like. And then working with a bunch of combat veterans really changed my life. So I worked with folks who were, who were there in the initial wave into, into Iraq and into Afghanistan as well. Um, I learned directly from them kind of what what goes on in their minds you know the inner workings of, of their thoughts stuff that they haven't dealt with things that they are dealing with every single day um and and as i applied my research and my kind of study in in psychology i was able to really really fine-tune um my approach when it came to working alongside them because you know stuff gets dumb real fast right out in the field i mean anything that can break is going to break anything that's going to go wrong is going to go wrong and when you're working alongside somebody who's battling the demons that a lot of these guys have um it's so important to especially as a leader to minimize pressure wherever possible uh just in the way we talk to them in the way we interact with them and i mean the best thing you could do as a new as a new officer for anybody listening is Dude, when you've got an NCO who's been there and done that, I mean, you take notes and you learn from them, you know. Uh, and of course, you you want to be a leader who's act, you know, hands on at some point and actionable and whatnot. But but it's amazing how much pressure is lifted off their backs uh, of the soldiers when you when you show them that they do get a voice, you know. And this is a point of contention because is it supposed to be a one way dialogue um, when you give orders, or you're supposed to let them talk and Man, I still—it's still a battle. There's still an argument that it's—it's it's a deep one, man. There's a deep philosophy to this. It definitely is, and in, in that statement, it, it would come down to it depends. So it, mm-hmm. here's here's the order to do X. Hey, sir, how about we do it this way? That that's fine. But hey, you need to do this, then they, they shouldn't be asking that question. The, it was the mm-hmm. philosophy that you'll hear back, the feedback you'll get from many senior leaders. Yeah. So as you uh, now you've transitioned out, you said like last year or the beginning of this year, are you practicing full time on just being uh, you know, you got your author business? That's a business in itself, being an author. Congratulations on all your work there. Thanks, man. Thank you. Are you coaching people as well with mental health and uh, development and such like that? Um, so I'm busy sweating in my car right now. I apologize <laughs> to your viewers. Um, I'm actually on a Navy base. If you hear like fighter jets, there's like F-35s and stuff flying around. So I'll, I might crack up my window, but you're going to hear some jets. So anyway, um, so I'm right now I'm in the middle of uh, some, well, I, I don't really want to disclose it, but it's, it's related to the government. So there's, 
a cool job on the horizon. Um, definitely going to be dealing with protecting America and it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, we will all be working with some veterans who are awesome. Um, but that's on the horizon. Uh, I am currently the only coaching I'm doing. So I just, I'm working on some more books right now. So that's been fun to just kind of like, yeah, get, get some thoughts out. Um, the only guys that I'm actively, like if I were to say coaching, there's some good dudes that I know in, in different pipelines who are training for either special forces or special operations and whatnot. So we do jujitsu together and the way, and I write a lot about jujitsu. Um, you know, I was trained on the mats by some awesome people. I, I go to Jocko Willing's gym. So he's obviously super inspirational to be around. There's a lot of vets there, a lot of team guys and jujitsu goes hand in hand with leadership, right. And mindset. So there's been some guys that I've been blessed to, to get to know and they're younger dudes, younger enlisted guys. Um, and they absolutely destroy me on the mats. I mean, one of them just two days ago, he was, um, and he's a wrestler and the guy's like got 40 pounds of muscle on me and wow. he just absolutely doesn't know jujitsu, but he just grabs my arm and f does what he wants. And I'm fighting for dear life to defend against him. But we talk a lot about the psychology of, of, of leadership, um, from the perspective of friends of mine who've been to war, I, I tell them what they taught me, you know, about what it's like to, to be in those fights and what a good leader looks like in those scenarios and, and what, what a not so optimal leader may look like. And it's really neat to kind of see them light up when I tell them that as enlisted guys, and in, in my perspective, you know, they're, they're the VIPs in the room during a brief. It shouldn't be the officer who says, you know, I've got this, this pen and I write this schematic, I write these diagrams on the whiteboard and you're going to go do that. And that's what it looks like. Rather it's, it's more of, Hey, this is the commander's intent, but the dudes on the ground that are willing to take the bullet, they're willing to, to get shot first. They're willing to get blown up. They're going to lay their life down. That's precious blood, man. And, and it's so important for them to feel that they are the priority, right? Keeping them alive is the priority. And that's that's kind of my soapboxy thing I, I talk to these guys about all as we're rolling as we're doing jujitsu um talking about mindset talking about tactical breaths how to throttle their aggression but calm back you know calm themselves down in the midst of that and that's not something i came up with that's what these black belts taught me you know that's what these upper belt men taught me because they're just amazing guys and they're super patient and they will absolutely smash my ego to little, little itty bitty pieces and then help me rebuild myself back up on the mats, you know? And so, um, I love the hands-on the tactical or I'm sorry, the tactile approach, like the kinesthetic approach to, to mindset development. So just talking about feelings is one thing, but when you're actively grappling and choking each other out, and then you're talking the philosophy of, of that, of what it's like to, to fight and to know your enemy, to understand yourself man, there's just, I can just rabbit hole down this, but I'll, I'll shut up for now. <laughs> and you're making great points right there. And I was laughing because I had a guest on uh, not long ago, Matt Schaup, and he's an author as well. And he talked about getting onto the mat with a, I think it was a 14 year old kid. He's, you know, he's 40 something years old. And this 14 year old kid, he said, Oh, he's a little scrawny kid. I, I can beat him. And that kid choked him out time and time again. He said, mm -hmm. how am I going to get, how am I going to get this kid? And he finally, finally just, realized that the kid just knows what he's doing. 
he was using his mental toughness over him. Like, it doesn't even matter what size on the mat. It just matters, like you were saying, mindset and knowing what to do next, knowing your enemy, know yourself, and be able to fight through it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I we learned uh, combatives, which is basically jiu-jitsu at a minor level. And mm-hmm. uh, it was the same thing. You go in there and people would eye people up who they thought they can beat and try to get <laughs> in there. And then they'd, get, they'd become embarrassed and were very upset. I went against an officer from West Point, and he wrestled all four years at West Point. And just from my years of experience with war and combat and training, I took him out in seconds because I just knew what he wasn't going to do, and I mm-hmm. went for it and took him out. He complained and cried that I cheated. I said, it's combatives, man. Win or lose, I got you. See you later. Dang, did you break some bones or what? It sounds like you gave him a bloody nose. <laughs> I put my I put my shoulder deep into his esophagus. Ah, uh, the shoulder of justice. Yes, I've yes. received that many a time. <laughs> yeah. It's a painful thing, and I was on the other side of it before. I learned my lesson. Oh yeah, of course. I, you you learn. <laughs> you yeah, that's the cool all. thing about jujitsu. You know, whatever you dish out <clears throat> to people, you've received it. So it's yes. and that that adds to the humility. You know, these black belts are some of the most humble people in the world, and it's. It's awesome. You know, they never brag because they don't have to. The belt says it all, you know, but also their temperament, you know, they gained that black belt through literal blood, sweat and tears, you know, and so it comes. There's such a sweetness to that. It's not like, you know, how in the military you get rank if you don't commit a crime and if you stay alive, I mean, you're going to rank up, you know, Um, but in jujitsu and other martial arts, man, you're doing that because you're getting choked and punched out and all this stuff. Right. So I. Man, I'd love to see it if in the military, like the day you get rank, you also have to go get choked out for an hour with a black belt. It'd be so cool if the rank went hand in hand with with belting up. But um, I only say that because I I needed that, man. I, I I was an idiot for much of my life, and I really needed that hands-on mentorship. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. And then sometimes sometimes you need that little uh, knock in the noggin. I like to call it knock in yeah. the noggin to get you focused and go to the straight and narrow. And it mm-hmm. seems like you you learned it. You were learning it before you got to the mats, I believe. You had your mindset going before you started your jujitsu journey as well. It it was it came yeah close after that. So I kind of left the party scene, stopped <laughs> drinking alcohol, like you know six seven days a week because I was self medicating. Um, and then I met met a group of guys uh, that were super cool. I met some some Navy SEALs who started kind of like teaching me how to exercise, how to be fit how to have a mindset like them. And one of my best friends was a DEA agent. Um, just really cool guys that started, I, I noticed were way different than the people that I used to party with, you know, and I loved my friends that I, that I partied with, man. I, that was my family. But uh, then I realized, Hey, there's, there's a different caliber of people out there where they're not doing drugs. They're not drinking, you know, every single day they're, they're out there, you know, risking their lives and, and doing things that are, man, it's just, it was so cool. You know, just the stories that they'd share with me for 30 seconds, which blow my mind, you know, and to me, they were celebrities. They were, cause you know, they don't, they don't talk about this stuff to many people, but when they share stuff with you, it's like, Holy smokes, dude, this is, this is some badass stuff, you know? And, um, that really changed my perspective. And a lot of them because of their job in order to stay alive, if, if in any case they drop a weapon or whatever it is, they train hands, you know, hand-to-hand combat. Right. And so, um, seeing that discipline and, and seeing that aggression and that, oh man, it, it was so cool, but yet with the humility, you know, it was just mind blowing, right. super aggressive, super violent when they need to be. And yet super humble. 
So I, I wanted a piece of that and just wanted to be around him. You know what I mean? I just wanted that to rub off on me. And, and uh, yeah, jujitsu came shortly after that. It's outstanding. And I'm sure some of your resilience I and mean, your parents, they both uh, immigrated from Iraq, uh, like, well, before you we were born, I'm guessing. And that, yeah. that's a journey for them. Uh, that's a hard enough journey for anyone, not to mention someone that doesn't know the language or the culture to come to America and, and try to assimilate and, and become part of the culture and mm -hmm. show you that toughness they had, the mental toughness to it. That had to soak in a little bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and you look at what's going on with like Hamas and Israel right now, and, and I understand people are <clears throat> politicizing it so much right now, but um, my parents are uh, Christian refugees and they basically escaped, you know, because you can't, in countries like that, they don't let you just walk out. You can't just say, right. hey, we're going on on vacation. For whatever reason, they say like, they, we're going to turn this into a, a circle of hell and everybody here has to stay here, right? That's the mentality, super dark. Um, so my family had to escape, you know, one by one, they had to find their ways out. Um, thank God they did. And their, um, my father passed away a few years ago on the, on the 4th of July, which was quite fitting. His name was Victor uh, for, for Victory Day. He, he was born in 1945, um, you know, when World War II ended and, and he absolutely loved America. My brother's a Marine. My parents, they dreamed of, of America while they were stuck in Iraq because they knew they, they would see Hollywood movies, you know. And so my dad was like obsessed with uh, Marilyn Monroe and <laughs> James Dean, Elvis Presley, the Beatles. Like my dad, that's how he learned English. You know, they'd listen oh, to wow. Beatles. They'd listen to and so they just dreamt they because they knew there was something better, right? They knew that where they lived, that that wasn't right. Um, and when they got out, yeah, they the big thing they taught us was like, look, you know, we're gonna speak English in the house, you guys are gonna teach us proper English. Uh they you know, my dad worked like two, three jobs every single day of his life. Um, and they just let us know the opportunities that we were born with in America and that we had that wasn't what was supposed to happen to us. And so we needed to be extremely grateful to understand how blessed and how protected we were in America, you know, because back there, anybody could get killed or women could get raped or whatever it was. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't investigate, you know, especially because we're Christians. Right. Um, we were, we were looked at as a, as another class of citizens over there. And so mm -hmm. they, they definitely pushed us to remember like in America, man, any dream can come true. You know, any opportunities here, there's, there's no reason to complain. Um, and that's something that, especially now, man, my heart breaks because of what's happening in the Middle East. Um, and it just reminds me of what my, my parents uh, risked their lives to get us away from, you know, yeah. as their kids. And man, it's just, it's unreal, dude. It's, it's unreal that that savagery still exists on our planet. And that, that level of hatred, dude, there's still mm -hmm. that level of hatred for, and just it's an ideology brainwashed into people from birth, basically, to tell them yeah. if they're not like you, they're against you and you must hate them. Right. And in 2004, on the streets of Ramadi, Iraq, I had Christian women trying to give me their kids to bring home with us. Yeah. That's in 2004. Mm -hmm. And and we already were in control of the country at that point. So that, that breaks your heart just seeing that and knowing that your family went through that. And that was probably 20 something years before that probably uh that they went through it and it was still going on Dude. persecution was still going on wild right it's, it's crazy yeah. but 
Yeah, and I always like to say, like, on behalf of my family, like, thanks for serving over there, man, and to anybody listening, because it's that's the the thing that blew my mind, you know, growing up and seeing the war in Iraq on TV and stuff. That's that's like the hell my parents escaped from, right? My whole family, my lineage, like, escaped from, and you guys were going in there to go fight. And the fact that you'd be willing to risk your life for, you know, people you don't owe anything to, it's just, it's heartbreaking, but it's also like super inspiring to see that. And just, I don't know, man, word, it's hard to put into words, especially growing up here. And then, yeah, knowing, knowing everybody was deploying and going over there to fight. It's like, wait, you're running into the furnace. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, dude, it's just heavy stuff, man. Yeah. It's something that I didn't think I'd be doing as growing up. I knew I wanted to be in the army. I didn't think I'd be in Iraq fighting because growing up, you see things. We thought we were going to fight Russia the whole time I was growing up. Mm. And then that's where we wound up. So you wound up in a, a non-LISCO battle. You wound up in a coin operation, basically, against insurgency. Mm. And it was a totally different ball game. And you had to learn on the fly and use that mental mm. jiu-jitsu to figure out what was going to happen next, playing chess in your mind. Uh, what's this guy going to do to cause something to happen here? And it was wild. And uh, I think that's something you're tackling via your jiu-jitsu journey and your psych psychology journey as well. Yeah, man, definitely thinking, you know, they teach us in jiu-jitsu. Everything's about a game game of angles. And I was telling my buddy, he's um he's in buds right now about to about to graduate and get his trident, but he when we were rolling together, um I was telling him how we're coached on thinking of every single move we set up as a as a game of angles. So you never go head to head with your opponent exactly mirroring them you know you're you either you tilt your hips a little bit or your shoulders you know you find a way to come in because that's when you throw them off balance right you and you just add that one percent of intelligence to each move and it it completely changes the game so it's never like two you know stags hitting each other locking horns and whatnot um but it can be very discreet you can very subtly shift your weight or alter your angle in a way that your opponent doesn't understand that or, or isn't uh, perceptive of it. And then next thing you know, you control their weight, you control the velocity of the fight and you bait them into whatever move you want, you know, and, and they'd, they'd always say this on the mats, the black belts would always teach us what we tell you in jujitsu. Think of it also as applying to real life, you know, any circumstance you're thinking outside the mats, it's philosophical. Um, and again, a lot of these guys are combat vets, right? And so they bring in their war stories and they talk about um, how they've applied jujitsu in, in that context. And it's it's so cool. And I, I love being able to share that with others. Yeah, and just I reread Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership, uh, mm -hmm. two months ago. I read it when it first came out and then I, I listened to it this time, listened to him and uh, his co-author talk through it and actually let it soak in this time. And just to listen to Jocko speak, knowing I was on the same streets he was over there and, and the teams, yeah. the teams he led is amazing. The things that they went through and it was two years after I left there, three years after I left there, he was fighting the same fight against the same dudes. So it was kind of yeah. wild to, to read it, listen to him and, and see his points of how to twist a, what he did there into what you can do in reality, into real life with it. And if you can absorb what they teach, that that's from him, his, his point of view, there's other people like you, you met the black belt, the other black belts all have the other PO points of view of where they yep. came from to get that journey. And if you absorb all that, you're a better person. 
Yeah, man. I uh, my so my army dad was there too. Um, I won't say his name because OPSEC, but he he told me about he he was a young specialist over there in, in Ramadi, and because uh, he was asking me, he's like, "Hey, ask Jocko if if uh, there's a certain thing going on there with like enemy snipers and whatnot." And he was like, "Ask Jocko if he was there with me at that time when we were dealing with that one guy." But uh, essentially, he had to go blow up a bunch of trees um, to go set up some like corridors for for uh snipers to like shoot in and uh anyway he had some he had some super interesting stories about about how ramadi impacted him and it's funny because when i was a new platoon leader you know he'd pull me aside and we'd we'd talk about you know leadership stuff right how, how to talk to the troops and i i learned a lot from him because he's a he's a pretty seasoned nco at this point in his career but um it was amazing what he learned in real time over there. Like it came, it came with a price, man. It came with a heavy price for him to have those lessons now that he has. And and one of the coolest things, and I again, I encourage especially new officers going in, is just letting these guys, if if they're willing, you know, one on one, share with you what they learned, uh, because it it validates, man, a lot of the pain that they went through, a lot of the weight that they carry, and to be able to look at someone in the eyes like that and say, um, I'm gonna make sure I incorporate your wisdom into my leadership. I think it's cool. I think that's such a, it's the only way to, for me to give back. Cause I can't go back in time there and fight with them. But what I can say now is um, everything you learn there, like let me soak it up. Let me soak up as much as I can. Because again, like he, he lost a lot of buddies um, and, and he wrestled with, a, with a lot of uh, memories from, from those days. So just want to acknowledge that, Man, the stuff you guys, the stuff that get you guys, that was normal to you, right. the stuff that was normal day in and day out is mind blowing, you know. And I won't go into details, but I'll just say like it's, damn. There's some stuff he would drop so casually, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? You're gonna have to repeat that because that that did not compute. Like that happened. What? He's like, just oh, like yeah, that, <laughs> bro. Unreal. Yeah. And it's a, it's a. I guess a live history lesson you get in there, a live life lesson as you're in combat to either you either learn or you, you don't come back and you have yeah. to learn and we're going to be the person that's getting the story told about them. And wow. it's, it's, it is life altering, life changing. It could also make you a much better human at the end of the end of the day. And I think that happens to a lot of people who become much better humans after seeing the, the hell of battle. Yeah, man. Assuming they, the assumption there is that they don't end up, you know, hurting themselves right. or as one, one friend says, you know, moving their expiration date up. Right. So that's yes. like, uh, yeah. That, and again, that went into my leadership style is understanding dudes. So a lot of guys, man, they wrestle with, uh, why am I still alive? You know, my buddy's not kind of a thing. And, and that's, that sticks, you know, it's a sticky thought. It's hard to just drop that. Um, and I'm so grateful that, you know, my army dad is still alive today because there were days where he came close. And um, my buddy Austin, who wrote the foreword of my book, um, he lost 13 guys from his unit to suicide after Afghanistan, man. Like 13 killed themselves, you know. And that's, I, you know, I still check in on him to make sure he's okay. Because um, he, he could have been on that list, right? And still could, you know, it could still happen, right? This is something we talk about because we're not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know what I'm saying? There are days when I call him and, it, you know, if he doesn't answer and I know that he's in the middle of a struggle, it's like, oh, bro, like, 
don't leave me hanging too long. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then one of my soldiers survived his suicide attempt uh, when I was platoon leader. And that, that changed my life. And he, he's still alive today. Um, and he wrote, yeah, man, he wrote the, for, the uh, introduction of my book as kind of a, from a soldier who struggled with that thought, you know, um, a, a word of encouragement to others. But this stuff is like, yeah, it's, and not to make this like super heavy. I have a bad habit of doing that, but, um, but it's for guys like that. We need to optimize leadership. You know, it's not just to give the sexiest brief and whatnot. It's about how do I, how do I input some more resilience into this guy and, and help him become more robust? You know, because I think I think that's the big responsibility of leaders that we may, maybe don't talk about so much is how do we lead in a way that's strengthening our guys, you know, and our gals, the troops. Um, yeah. I learned early on as a, a young leader from my leaders that my job is to make me, to make the next me. So my job was always to pump people up, to be me or pass me. And that was my whole goal. Every time I had a new group, whether it was a team or a squad or a platoon to get as many of them to become me or better. And that mm. was my whole goal going through my whole career. So everything was transparent. They knew exactly why we were doing stuff, when we were doing stuff. And if I gave a brief, they briefed me how they were going to act on during it. So I learned those lessons way early from my first platoon sergeant, Humberto Lopez, who I thought was crazy at the time, but <laughs> every lesson he taught me stayed in my head for forever now. So it was almost 30 years. Hey, so when you, so even back then, right? So 2004, not to make it sound like super old, but um, back, back when you were serving, the why was given to you or were they saying, cause I've heard some guys say, well, back in my day, we didn't do that back in my day, you know, these soldiers weren't this spoiled kind of a thing. But again, this is where something new officers should really get to know about. So when you were serving, did you get the why? when you were told something or was it just, I'm telling you to go do this or so shut up and do it. Most times we were given a whole reason why this is, this is what we're going to do. And this is why we're doing it. Almost every awesome. leader I had did that. Yeah. I mean, I had a couple that were just a totalitarian authoritarian guys or you do this, but those didn't last long because the soldiers were in work for them. They would make them fail because bro, they made them, this is, and that's the way it happens. Yeah, man. So I, so the funny thing is because, uh, you know, I, I've, I was mentored by some guys who were SEALs. Um, one of them's out now. He's a really good friend of mine. I just saw him two weeks ago. Um, but somebody called me out and said, Hey, the way you lead soldiers, he's like, you're basically, it's, you're not thinking straight because you were taught by team guys. You were taught how to lead by, by Navy SEALs, but you're not a Navy SEAL. You're in the army and you're, you're giving soldiers like too much of a voice. You're that's not there as conventional soldiers. They didn't earn that. And I'm, and I looked at them like, dude, they're adults, you know, they're, right. they're adult human beings who are willing to, to, to die for the job. So they get the why they get to give feedback. You don't tell them, Oh, well, you're not team guys yet. So because of that, I'm going to treat you like X, Y, and Z or, you know, whatever it is. But it was, it was crazy to me. Um, Cause this was from, from a fellow officer who was just thinking, yeah, you know, you're supposed to talk to them a certain way. And then if, if you're working with teams, that's when you treat each other like it's an equal playing field. But yeah. I don't know, man, that bothered me, but whatever. And one of the, one of the listeners just wrote in the Marines, we were just told 
we were told just go do so yeah and i get it and man but but like you said if if people and again i have not been to war right so let me let me say that but i have been told by people who were in war that if soldiers hate you as a leader and you're trying to tell them to go do something they're not doing it for you if you're an officer who oh you're gonna do this but they don't they genuinely don't respect you or they they despise you they're not going to walk into enemy fire because you gave an order and right i haven't seen it i don't know because i haven't been to war but i'm the guys who told me this are highly credible people and so that's my only point of contention is like if you try if you talk to people like they're stupid and that tone of voice and that attitude and that you know posture as a leader and then both the rounds are flying and explosives are going off oof um i would hate to to be abandoned by my platoon you know what i'm saying <laughs> so and, and you don't have to look far back you can look back to vietnam the same thing happened and the leader was not well loved well respected they usually were the first ones killed in i vietnam. heard about that yeah it's so a lot of fratricide happened in vietnam because of the same thing you just said no mm. respect for them and someone would get rid of them and then someone else would step up and then now it's like i said the authoritarian you don't get nothing from them They'll, you'll they might go out there and make sure that their brothers that are right and left live and get back. Rather than that, they're not doing anything above and beyond. Mm. Yeah, this is a, uh, I mean, I love these conversations. These are the type of conversations I had with like, again, like my army dad. So I'd ask him from an NCO's perspective, um, is it okay to be soft and show feelings to soldiers? Is it, you know, is it okay to, to give them a voice and hear how they're doing? Or does that introduce weakness into the ranks? Does that make them, softer and make them feel like they're they're there to be coddled you know but and again that's when i i wanted to invest in a master's to understand this stuff like what's the neurophysiology of being nice you know what does it do to the brain when you treat people very rudely versus with kindness you know and all i can say man is the research looks good for for being kind to others because it it, it nurtures growth in the mind. It allows, it buffers out the bad stuff. And I imagine being in war, you have enough enemies shooting at you. You don't want to be your own enemy. You know, why, why have an internal enemy if you've got the world hating you? So again, this is where it gets like philosophical and, and yeah. weird. So I don't know. You don't want to worry about uh, going to sleep at night and not waking up because someone didn't let you wake up. So yeah. that's a, that's a whole other ball game. So we've talked a little bit about your books. Tell us a quick synopsis of the, the three books that are out now, and then you have two on the <laughs> way out. So, and where to get them? Um, so I have a website called Combat Psych. You can go to that and check out the books. There's previews on it. So, Backpack to Rucksack book. Um, that was the first one I wrote. That's basically a shout out to to the guys who mentored me before I joined. So. Each chapter is dedicated to a different service member who inspired me to join the military. So there's Navy SEALs, EODs, uh, Green Beret, MARSOC officer, jet pilots, rescue swimmers. Um, it covers like enlisted ranks and enlisted guys and officers as well. Uh, but it's basically each chapter has a nugget of wisdom that they gave me about leadership. And uh, I took that book and I distilled it down into the combat psych handbook is what I call it. And I thought it would just be a cool book um, to take out to the field if soldiers are ever kind of bored out there and need need some bullet points to read and whatnot. But what I did as a platoon leader, um, so I'd be sitting in my Humvee, Humvee when we we're out in the field together and the Joes would come in because I, I let the guys like sit in my vehicle and stuff. I wasn't weird about 
you know, anyway. Um, but I'd ask him questions like, Hey, how are things at home? How's things with, you know, your wives or female soldiers too. So I asked them about, you know, their relationships, with their husbands and stuff or their kids. And, um, so they started, I let them know, like, if you have any questions about psychology, ask me and let's see if I can give you an answer. And dude, we went through, like, we went through a ton of questions, you know, and at some point I even had the whole platoon there. And, um, and so the book is kind of based on topics that they asked me about, you know, whether it's anger, anxiety, um, depression, nightmares, like different things, uh, interpersonal relationships. So I try to distill that down into a book. And then the one I just released, uh, another one is, um, a black belt psychology, like, uh, mindset book, uh, based on a thesis I worked on during my master's and I got to interview 32 black belts. I, it was enabled because of Draco. He gave me permission to to inter- interview a few black belts he knows and then it kind of grew into this 32 black belt study where we talk about anxiety basically threat threat appraisal how they you know how they read a threat um how they decide the amount of violence to respond to a threat you know where their mind goes when they're under attack and so yeah that's a third book and then just a, a bunch more that i'm writing but i don't want to bore the okay. listeners too much they can check it out on the website and all through Amazon, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. They're okay. yep. And then one of them, the Combat Psych Handbook. Uh, that's yeah, you can get on Amazon, but it, the full book is available on my website as a PDF. Okay. And the reason I did that, um, there's a soldier who died uh, after he got back from Afghanistan. He was struggling with some some deep stuff, man. Um, his mother wrote the forward to the book. Tammy, she's a gold star mother. Um, yeah, man, she, it's a heavy story. Uh, if you, if you look up what happened, but, uh, I told her, you know, the more, the heavier it is, the more real and the more it makes me just remember my soldiers, man, because soldiers come in with some pretty jacked up stories, you know, yes. and that's, that's what's so endearing about them because in the middle of what they're fighting back home, the childhoods they grew up with, the animosity of things that they dealt with in the streets, you know? as young teenagers, these are the soldiers I led. And so, so Tammy, uh, she wrote the forward to the book and out of just respect for Jeremiah not being here anymore. I wanted to give this book as a free resource to anybody. Like there's no, you can copy it. You can send it to whoever you want. Uh, because if it helps one soldier who's struggling, one soldier who feels alone, then, you know, then my mission's complete with that book, you know? So, um, I just wanted to say that it is a free resource and it's because of Jeremiah's loss that I wanted to put it out there for the troops. Awesome. That's a great resource to have. Uh, the website is going across the bottom screen for those of you watching this on YouTube or on the live stream right now. For those of you who will see this, uh, listen to this on our podcast, on all your favorite podcast apps, it will be in the show notes for you to click and check it out. Uh, Dan, uh, at this point, I usually ask people three tips they give other people to be better at life. So if you give three tips for Yo. for people to do better in life, what would that okay. be? Okay. Start jujitsu or do something <laughs> hands-on, do something kinesthetic where you're, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? So find um especially especially for males, man, find a group of dudes who will absolutely pummel you and help you become a better person in that regard because it does wonders for your ego. 
um, when, when you do that. So get on the mats in some capacity and learn how to throttle violence, you know, and, and be assertive on the mats. Um, number two is self-care. So definitely invest in your self-care, Google it, find out ways, or you can find it in my books and whatnot, but definitely work on self-care, especially if you're in, in uniform, you're going out to the field, especially if you have a high op tempo where you're at, um, invest in restoring your body and mind, you know? And then number three, man, I would say just reach out, reach out to your guys and your gals that you serve with, um, proactively, you know, check on people before things get weird, before people go quiet, just, just tell them you remind people that you love them and don't be ashamed of that because, you know, if you're willing to lay your life down, that's the sign. That's the greatest love that you could show. And I believe because of that, we shouldn't be afraid of loving each other as family because sometimes we're the only family we have, man, or the only family we can stand to be around. Right. Um, so yeah, I would say, uh, check in on others. Awesome. Three great. Here comes a helicopter, by the way. So it's going to be pretty loud. I just had one go over me too. So it's kind of coincidental. <laughs> I just had a Chinook fly over my house. Yeah. So yours is probably a Pablo or something. So it's probably something cooler. Oh, Osprey. Osprey. Oh, it's even worse. Osprey. Yeah. yeah. Those are your house. <laughs> Dan, this has been great chatting with you. Uh, I'm sure we can go down a rabbit hole and talk forever on all the subjects we were talking about. It's been great. I can't wait to see what you do in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You have a good night, brother. All right, man. You too. Thanks. For every veteran, there is a story. A story about a calling to serve, to fight for the freedoms of the American people. And every story has a struggle, a sacrifice, and invisible wounds. Warrior Watts programs help veterans recover. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. That's themisfitnation.com. Check out all of our past episodes and get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Cause we are. This fit nation. This fit nation. This fit. 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 This f